listening to this week's sermon from King's Community Church. For more information about our church, including meeting time and location, visit kingscommunity.ch. It's said by a mentor of mine that um, in, in the story of the Bible, when Satan was thrown out of heaven, he was thrown right into uh, church AV equipment and dry erase markers. Uh, we experienced a little bit of that this morning. Sorry for the challenges of, uh, of technology there, um, but I appreciate you uh, being here to worship together. Because I know things like that can be a distraction, I, I would love to continue uh, from Luann's prayer and just pray that we are not distracted by the things around us, but rather that we can have a laser-like focus on the word of God and what he would have for us today. So if you'll continue praying with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day that you have made. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to come together into a place and worship freely and read your word to us without fear of what might happen to us because of it, but rather to be empowered by your word that we might be a mighty force to go out into this world to speak truth and love well. God, will you help us focus our minds and really the attitude of our hearts toward what you would have for us today? And we pray this in the good name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, church, if I haven't met you, uh, my name is Gabe DeGarmo. I may not have met you because uh, I, I haven't been here for the last few weeks, and that's largely because of a gift that you as the church have given me. Uh, it's the summer, and, and a lot of people take time to press pause and do different things with family and, and get refreshed and rejuvenated. And because of the leaders and the teams of volunteers that we have here at King's Community Church, you empowered our family to have that over the course of the last couple of weeks. First through vacation, uh, and then that moved right into a time for me to have an extended time in prayer and planning what's on the horizon for our church and for those of you who shared specific prayer requests with me, I was honored to lift you up in prayer uh, over the course of that time. And I, I assure you, I will continue to do that. I thank you for being uh, humble and sharing that with me and giving me the opportunity to do that. And for all of us as a church, when I think about the moments that I was able to spend planning what's on the horizon for us, I'm excited about the things that are coming down the pike in the immediate and intermediate future for King's Community Church as we set out to bring God's story to life. Here, in our neighborhoods, in our households, in our communities, in our workplaces, and in due time around the world as well. That's why we exist as a church. Um, but today we're beginning a new sermon series that's a part of that vision. The series is called Wired for Worship. In fact, if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn to the book of Psalms. Psalms is pretty much right in the middle of your Bible. Uh, Psalms 1 is where we're going to begin. Uh, we'll be a little bit uh, to the left if you want to turn that direction. Psalm 1 is where we'll be today. Psalms are a collection of about 150 poems. Poems are super saturated with information written in an artistic form. Can you imagine how awesome it would be if I came home one day and had a stack of 150 poems and gave them to my wife and said, these are for you? That'd be pretty great, right? Can you imagine now if, if I took that 150 stack of poems and as I handed them to my wife, I said, these are for you. They're all about me so that you can know how to praise me. That's a little bit less great 
because I'm not that great. I'm not that praiseworthy. But when it comes to the book of Psalms, that's exactly what God has done for his people. He's given us 150 poems in order that we could know him and know how to praise him in every dimension of our lives. And he is that great, so he is worthy of that praise. The word psalms means praise. Psalms teach us how to praise God in every part of life, in the happiness, in the sadness, when we're rich and when we're poor, when we're confident or when we're confused, when we're motivated to do the right things in life or when we're sorry about doing the wrong things that we've done. There are psalms that speak into every facet of our lives. As we read the psalms over the course of the next five weeks, it's important that we have the right answer to a couple of seemingly simple questions. The first question is, who's the Bible about? And the answer to that is undoubtedly God. The second question that we have to ask is, who's the Bible for? The answer to that is us. Sometimes when we forget the answers to those questions, it misleads us through this life. So as we approach the Psalms and as we approach all of Scripture, we want to remember that the Bible isn't about us. It's about God, but the Bible is for us. In the next five weeks, we're going to talk about how to praise God in different ways in the everyday stuff of life. Another way to say praising God is worship. Worship is a thing that we all do. We can't not worship. It's a part of the way human beings were created. So worship is not just for religious folks. Worship is for everyone. Worship tells us what we value the most. Worship motivates our behavior. It's really the driving force of everything that we do in life. So worship isn't just a word for church activity. It's actually something we're doing all the time. And the Psalms help us understand how to worship God in all kinds of ways throughout life. Psalm 1 sets the stage for how to worship God. Psalm 1 is like our roadmap. Forgive me, this is a family service. A roadmap is like a printed out version of a GPS for anyone who was born after 1990. A roadmap is something that helps us get from where we are to where we're going. We need roadmaps to know how to navigate life. We need a GPS speaking into which way to go. And because God is good and loving, he's given us that. See, the Bible is not something man-made because we wanted to pursue God. The Bible is something that's actually God-made through man because God was pursuing us. So it's a good thing that God has given us lost and broken people, a GPS, a roadmap back to him. Psalm 1 says this, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners? Or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. And he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. And whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment. Nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. That's Psalm 1. When I was a child, 
there was this book series called Choose Your Own Adventure. Maybe some of you are familiar with it. Instead of getting a book and reading it one chapter at a time in subsequent order, you'd get to the first chapter, and at the end, it would give you a couple of options of which way you were going to go. I did not always like to fly by the seat of my pants. I liked to know where I was going because I wanted to get the most out of the story that I was in. So I would hold my place at the end of that first chapter and read a little bit into the different options that I was given in order that I knew that I was choosing the best pathway. It was giving me a little bit of foresight into the story that I wanted to enter into. Psalm 1 is like a glimpse down the path. It shows two different roads and where they lead. It teaches us that not everyone is on a path to the same direction. Even if that sounds nice to you, that we're all at a different starting point in life, and regardless of what you believe, we're all kind of headed in the same direction. In the core of your being, you don't want to believe that. If you're anything like me and like most people, you probably believe All in all, you're a pretty good person. Which means you probably also believe that there are people out there in the world that aren't that good of people. And you don't want to end up in the same destination as them. Even if you really keep that to the evilest of most evil people, you want there to be a place for people on a different path. Not everyone is starting at a different point headed in the same direction. We are headed on different paths in life. It's also true that there's not a limitless number of paths and you just get to choose yours. Psalm 1 is refining for us. There are two paths. Which path are you on? The path of righteousness or the path of wickedness? And what does that mean for us? It's good to note that in the grand scheme of the Bible, the path that we're on is not merely marked by behavior. The path of life that we're on is marked by worship. And because God is the author and authority over life and living, the righteous path is marked by walking with God, and the wicked path is marked by opposing God. It's narrowed down to those two paths. Everyone is wired for worship, and the way we worship determines the path that we're on. If we worship God, we're treasuring God among all other things. If we treasure anything else more than we treasure God, that's exactly what our heart's worshiping. And Psalm 1 illuminates what that means for us. The first thing we see in verses 1 and 2 is that worship is a way of life. Look at the times of day that are mentioned in verses 1 and 2. When you're walking, when you're standing, when you're sitting, in the daytime, in the nighttime, We have a disposition in the church in the United States to think of worship as maybe something we go to on the weekend. Or worship is when we're involved in church activity. Some of us think worship is relegated to that mission trip that we take once a year. Others of us relegate worship to a type of songs that we sing. But Psalm 1 tells us worship is when we're walking, when we're sitting, When we're standing, in the daytime, and in the night. You are pressed to find a different time or place when worshiping is not happening. Worshiping is always, it's for every part of life. Because it's a way of life. And on those two paths, we have the choice to worship through following God, 
those people are marked as righteous or not following God. Those are marked as wicked. For some people, you, you might be wrestling with this idea that there's only two paths. Really, in a world of 7 billion plus people, couldn't there be some alternative ways? I want to challenge that thought and say, you're pretty accustomed to buying into stories where there's only two paths. My family and I recently saw the, the new rendition of Aladdin. And I promise I'm not going to give away any spoilers if you haven't seen it yet. We, in, we enjoyed this movie, and at a, at a certain point, Aladdin, the hero, why we call it Aladdin, is meeting Jafar, the antagonist, the bad guy in the story. And between Aladdin and Jafar, we find out that they actually come from very similar starting points in life. And Aladdin realizes that Jafar chose a certain path. And the rest of the story is an unfolding of him choosing the other way to live. We enjoy immersing ourselves in that story because in our heart, we are actually a part of a similar story where we're choosing one of two paths. This is also why Christians uh, use that word lost sometimes when they describe people who are not followers of God. Uh, we don't just make up that term lostness. There are different clues in the Bible that point us into using a word like that. Some of it has to do with the path that we're on. When I think of uh, my childhood, there was a time when my family was at an amusement park. And my parents were giving me an opportunity to have some responsibility. They were going to let me go around the corner, go into a shop, buy my own ice cream, come back, hopefully give them the change. It was all going to be great. And I, I remember going from where my family was to around the corner, and I look up, and my little mind could read the sign, no shirt, no shoes, no service. And I had just come out of a pool, and I was not wearing a shirt, and I was not wearing shoes, so I turned around, and I swear I was looking at a world that I had never seen before. I was lost. But I decided to go without any direction, and the next 20 minutes felt like an eternity, because I was out of the presence of my family. I had lost my father and mother. I was scared and I was afraid. And I decided the best thing that I could eventually do after wandering for a while was to sit on a bench. And I was weeping. And my parents came and found me. In the story of the Bible and in the world in which we live, God encounters people who are lost and he invites them back into the righteous path through his family. This is why we get the language of two paths in Psalm chapter one. We need a father to come and find us when we are lost. We are made righteous by being brought to the right path. We can't do this apart from God. And what does it look like for a person who has been brought to the right path? Verse 2 says, His delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. The word of God is the Lord's instruction. Do you delight in it? Does it attract you? Is the word of God influencing your direction in life? Or do you sometimes turn that GPS off? Every once in a while, I'll use GPS to, uh, to sort of 
get an idea of where I'm going. And then because I don't want that voice speaking into the directions, I'll just turn it off and hope I can wing it from there. Are there times or places in your life when you decide to try to turn God off? What tempts you to go on the path away from God? I think most of us could boil it down to one of three things. Pleasure, power, or people. What tempts you to go away from the path of God? Pleasure is assuming that God exists for your purposes. Going back to that story of Aladdin, there's another epic moment in the story when you learn that the genie, spoiler alert, there's a genie in the story, the genie is considered the most powerful being in all the universe. But as the story goes, the irony of that is the most powerful being of the universe is subject to a master who has the lamp. Some of us treat God like a genie who exists to show up and bless us in our time of need. Does pleasure tempt you off the path? Does power tempt you off the path? Power is the need for control. If you are a controlling person, there is no room for God in your life because you want to figure it out on your own. Do you crave power? Do you crave control? Does the way you live require faith in God? If not, you might worship power instead of worshiping God. We have pleasure, we have power, and we have people. Some of us live to please people instead of pleasing God. One author writes it this way, Fearing others usually demonstrates itself in trying to please them more than God. In other words, you know you fear someone when you desire their approval and live for their praise. Do you make decisions based on pleasing your heavenly father who found you when you were lost? Or do you make decisions to try to please other people in your life? Pleasure, power, people can lead us to abandon God, to turn off the GPS, to not allow the word of God and his instruction to influence our direction of life. Secondly, we see in Psalm 1 verses 3 and 4 that worship always produces something. Listen to how the psalmist describes it. The righteous man is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Worshippers are always producing something. The psalmist says it's either fruit or it's chaff. I love the imagery of a tree being planted beside flowing streams. That idea that the tree was planted there means it started somewhere else and it was probably replanted by the flowing stream in order that it could flourish and be nurtured and have what it needs for health and growth. So our lives are replanted. These trees bear fruit in season. That means they produce something and their leaves do not wither. Things wither when there's the absence of life. But the righteous man is connected to God and has life. By comparing righteous people to trees, God is pointing out that he is more concerned with our growth than with a finished product. Let me say that again. By comparing the life of the worshiper of God to trees, God is saying he's more concerned with our growth than a finished product. Some of us are working hard to make life look like an Instagram account, with a perfect stage picture and filters to make it look like life is good, while on the inside we feel like the blooper reel that has fallen apart. 
God knows that you are not righteous on your own. Embrace the grace that he's given you and enjoy growth in life because that's what he's looking at. Like trees, you were also created to produce fruit. What do we know about fruit? There are different types of trees that produce different types of fruit. It's probably good that we don't get caught up on the fruit in other people's trees. God is so creative that he's made people different for his glory and for the health and holiness of the church and so that his mission could advance. That means if you are a human being created in the, mission, in the image of God, you have gifts, you have fruit that he wants you to produce. Sometimes we get hung up on the fruit on other people's trees because we want to be the types of fruit producers that they are, thereby neglecting the way that God made us. I'll give you a, a prime example. I'm going to humble myself. I love music. I love song and instruments. But do you know who doesn't have a lick of musical ability? This guy. In fact, one of my great fears is that I'll accidentally have my microphone turned on while we're singing and people will just leave. <laughs> I love music. I love worship music that leads me to the heart of God. However, if I just get hung up on what other people have in the gift of music and leadership, I'm going to miss the gifts that God has created in me to produce fruit for his glory and for the good of others. What do we know about fruit? Fruit grows, and there's different types of trees that produce different types of fruit. Here's another liberating thing we know about fruit that Psalm 1 tells us. Fruit grows in its season. Hear this and hear it loud and clear. Not, not any fruit-bearing tree produces fruit all the time. There are seasons of preparation and seasons of production. So our lives are going to be the same way. Some people around us are producing lots of fruit in their life because God has prepared them for that season. Don't neglect seasons of preparation in your life. If you are on the righteous path, God wants to produce fruit in you. But he might be preparing you before you actually see the budding fruit. We know that there are different types of fruit. We know that fruit grows in season, but not in every season. We also know from the rest of the Bible that there are different types of fruit, some that grow in us and some that grow out of us. Fruits that grow in it in the Bible are often called the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians has a beautiful list of the fruits of the Spirit. God wants to grow fruit in us. He wants to change us. What are those fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you want to grow in those areas in your life? It comes from being connected to God and his instruction. God wants to produce fruit in you, but he also puts you in places in your life, in your home, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, where you live out your hobbies because he wants to produce fruit through you. Because something else we know about fruit is that fruit has seeds inside of it. And seeds have the ability to produce more trees and more fruit. So we also learn that worshipers of God are going to be invested in the everyday stuff of life. And through their lives, they're going to watch other people become worshipers. There are different types of fruit, and for that we worship. Fruit grows in season, but not in every season. 
God wants to grow fruit in us and through us. And seeds of fruit produce plants that make more fruit. Worshippers reproduce. That's the righteous path. But Psalm 1 also tells us the wicked is like chaff. You know what chaff is? Chaff is the shell around grain. Psalms were written in the Middle East in in a culture that was agrarian. They were dependent on plants. It was a wheat and grain-based culture in a lot of ways. And whenever they would grow wheat, they would want the insides of it so that they could either plant it and make more wheat, or they could convert it into things and consume it, things like bread. But chaff was not good for anything. Chaff could not be digested, so your body could not use it internally. It could also not reproduce externally. So when they would gather this wheat, they would separate the wheat from the chaff, and the chaff would blow away in the wind because it was useless. Is your life a life that is producing fruit in and through you? Or is it producing chaff? That is not good for for growth internally and it's not reproducing externally. What does it look like for those who produce fruit? Again, go back to verse 2. They delight in the Lord's instruction and meditate on it day and night. But those who are wicked are mockers of God. As the Bible gives us instruction and teaches us how to live and walk on the path of life. There are other types of people that not only don't believe, but mock the idea that God has pursued us and he has taught us a better way to live that teaches us about true life. The Bible itself, the instruction of God, has a magnetism to it. Magnets attract and repel. All of my kids have grown up with train sets, these these wooden train sets, Brio boards, and on them there are trains that you can piece together. And it was always fun as a kid to figure out uh, which end of the trains were going to connect versus repel each other because uh, there were magnets that made them work together. So sometimes we'd we'd find the ones, the side of the train that would connect and they'd snap right together. And sometimes you'd find the, the, the parts of the magnet that repelled each other and you could push a train around the track without touching it because the magnet was repelling it. The Bible has a magnetism to it that attracts and repels as well. And like actual magnets, it attracts unlike and repels like. When you have two magnets with the same pole, they push away from each other. When you have magnets with opposite poles, they come together. You know who loves the word of God? People who recognize they are not like God. You know who's repelled by the word of God? It's people who think they could do a better job at being God than God himself. So I ask you, does the word of God attract you because you know you're not like God? Or does it repel you because you don't like the way God does things? The Bible has a magnetism. Are you drawn towards God's instruction? How is that manifesting itself in your life? We see that worship is a way of life. Worship always produces something. And thirdly, worship is a road that leads to a place. Listen to verses 5 and 6 again, which says, Therefore the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. 
For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Worship, the path that your life is on, is a matter of life and death. Life, as Psalm 1 tells us, is rooted in happy. Happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. We also see that whatever he does, he prospers. And the Lord watches over them, those who are righteous. It's important that we understand that in light of God who is eternal. Because we can read that and and sort of want to wire in our own thinking that if I worship God, then I should always be happy. I should always prosper in everything that I do. And I can trust that God is always watching over me. And if God's watching over me, then the other two things will be true. But for the people of God who exist to produce fruit in a broken world, we have to understand that this happiness is rooted in light of what we believe God's done for us eternally. Our happiness is rooted in the fact of what God has already done in putting us on the new path that leads toward life, that leads toward a relationship with him, that leads toward producing fruit and nourishing and health and holiness. We understand that that prospering is trusting that there will be a day when we receive the inheritance from the Lord that only a righteous son deserve. But then there's another path that Psalm 1 points out. A path that leads to ruin. We're told, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The way of the wicked leads to ruin. There's uh, a statement in one of my favorite books uh, called The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, where he describes the reality, the two different realities of what this experience on earth is like for people. He said, for the person who knows God, this earth is as close to hell as we will ever be. But for the person who doesn't know God, this earth is as close to heaven as you will ever be. Because of that, we have to think about this life in light of our eternal homes. God has secured a home for us, but it comes through trusting him. God, because of his great love, pursues us and invites us onto the path of life. And this is the message of the whole Bible. The road to God culminates with a person. As the story of the Bible continues on, we see that Jesus... This person that we meet in the New Testament is the fulfillment of God's instruction. He accomplished what we could never do on our own. Jesus lived righteously. He he delighted in the instruction of his father so much so that in the last meal that he had with his disciples, he was able to say a couple of things that point us back to Psalm 1. Listen to what Jesus said before he went to the cross. In John 14... Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus isn't just pointing to the path. Jesus is the path. He calls himself the way to true life. He doesn't just show us the road to God. He is the road to God. Jesus is where and how we meet God. But before that meal was over, he said something else later on that rings of Psalm 1 as well. 
Jesus said in chapter 15 of John's gospel account, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Jesus is what makes us capable of being like trees planted by streams and producing good fruit. He is the way. He is the vine. If you already believe this, God has put you on the path of life. And I implore you to leave that GPS on. To be so bound to God's word because you want directions to navigate the everyday stuff of life. And as God's word teaches you that you're on the wrong path, you can quickly turn back to the right path. But there are probably people here that that are learning this for the first time, that God has saved us by grace through faith in Christ, not by living rightly, but by worshiping rightly. And if you want to be on the right path because you know you're not on it, I encourage you to think about the ABCs of the Christian faith. ABC, this is an easy tool to remember it by. First is admitting that you are a sinner in desperate need of a savior. Second is believing that Jesus is the son of God, who he said he is, and he is the only way to true life, the only way to be planted in God's family for all of eternity. Admit that you are a sinner. Believe that Jesus is the savior who died on the cross and resurrected so that you could have real life. And then C, confess that I am on the wrong path and I need to be brought to the right path. I need to be replanted in God's kingdom Because that's not where I am. And if you do that, by grace you have been saved through faith. If you believe that. If that's you, I encourage you to tell someone that you came with today. Tell me before you leave. And I want to encourage you how to keep walking on the path of life. But for many of us that came here this morning, we're believers in Christ that need to remember where do we go from here with God's instruction. When I was on my, my prayer and study break, I, I chimed in with my family a couple times through FaceTime. Uh, and there was one time, uh, the first time that I called, I was talking to my wife and, and my, my six-year-old son, who's a, who's a busy boy. I could just see this little blonde head trying to get into the FaceTime camera. Like, I can tell Rocco's right there. And finally, his face pops up into the screen. And my, my wife is like, hold on, I'm talking to dad. And, and Rocco says to me, but mom, I haven't talked to dad in, in a whole day. What if we brought that zeal into our relationship with God? Do you crave his voice in your life so much so that you need it to satisfy you? Do you find ways to bring it in your life day in and day out in order that you can be with your father who wants to navigate your life to true life with him? Do you have that zeal? I want to encourage you in a special way this week. Verse 2 says... The righteous man delights himself in God's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. Psalm is 150 chapters long. We're not going to do a 150-week sermon series, not right now at least. We're going to do a five-week sermon series, which means we're not going to talk through all the psalms. But I don't want you to miss out on how good the psalms are for the everyday stuff of life. 
If you have a Bible at home, if you have a smart device, you have access to a Bible, I want to encourage you this week, if you're already a follower of Christ, to read Psalm 33 three different times. Not three different times in a row, three different times throughout the week. See how many observations you can make about God in Psalm 33. Because remember, the Bible is a story that is about God. It is for us, but we need to learn about him every time we meet him in the word. Read Psalm 33 three times this week and see how many observations you can make about God. Read it as a family. Read it with a friend or two. And I bet you when you read it with other people, they're going to help you see things that you could never see on your own. And when I say make observations about God, all you have to do is answer the question, what does it say? The Bible is not supposed to be a mystery to be decoded. It's supposed to show us the heart of our loving Father. So just read the Bible, read Psalm 33 three times this week and ask, what does this tell me about the God who pursued me when I was lost? Don't treat the Bible as a guide for moral living. It's a story that points us to the way back to God. That's a road that goes through Jesus Christ. God's character, Christ's love will change your heart. And as your heart is changed, you will realize you are on the righteous path, not because of what you've done, but because of what's been done for you. Learn to direct the gaze of your heart to the instructions of God. That's what we are wired to do. That's where our joy is found. That is the road to true life. May we walk on that road by faith. Will you pray with me? God, as we read your word together, we are reminded that that the Bible is not something we've created to try to get to you, but rather the Bible is a gift that you have given us because you have pursued us. Lord, the word, your word, Psalm 1, is filled with wonderful instructions of what it means to walk with you. Will you give us the courage to walk with you, to walk on your path, to fight against those things that tempt us to abandon you, whether it's pleasure or power or people. Help us to know the things that distract us in order that we can be drawn to you like a magnet and that we can produce fruit, that you would change our hearts, that you would change our minds and that we might live for your glory and the good of others. God, thank you that while we were still sinners, you invited us onto the path of life through your righteous son, the way, the truth, the life, the vine that brings us health and holiness. His name is Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen.